Hey, welcome to the Flow State Performance Podcast. My name is Jiro Taylor. I'm the host of the show. I'm the host of Flow Tribe, a community for flow pioneers around the world. And I'm the founder of Flow State, um, an organization through which I teach uh, flow mastery and um, help a pack of CEOs and founders um, exist in their highest states of performance. So on the show today, I'm interviewing Julian Palmer, who in entheogenic circles, aka plant medicine circles, is a well-known character. Um, he's an author, um, and he's a psychonaut, an explorer of uh, consciousness, an explorer of altered states through the conscious application of plant medicines. Um, he's a relatively, um, not controversial, but I would say uh, interesting figure in, in terms of his, his views, very much a, a, a modernist um, when it comes to um, the servings of ayahuasca and the sort of setting and scene and culture around the whole uh, plant medicine world. Um, and on this interview, we dive into some of the reasons why he has spent the last 20 years exploring plant medicines and uh, what it has given him, what he has learned, um, and really what the benefits are and what we need to be wary of. Um, it's not, a, not an area of exploration to be taken lightly. Um, in fact, quite the opposite. It's something to be taken very seriously and with great care and caution. Um, and with that in mind, I'd um, you know, really like to say that anybody exploring the plant medicine world, be it ayahuasca, San Pedro, DMT, or anything of that realm, please do so with utmost caution and use your intuition. Um, really listen to the inner voice within um, every step of the journey that you take. Um, right until the point where you're drinking the brew or whatever it is, be, be very wary of the feelings that you have within your body, whether they're guiding you towards a, a yes or a no. And remember that there's no force, there's no pressure. You don't have to go down this path. Um, but if you do so, do it for love, not fear. Um, all the best. I hope you enjoy listening to this podcast. Bye-bye. Welcome to the Flow State Performance Podcast. I'm here today with Julian Palmer. Um, today, Julian and I are going to chat about, we don't actually know what we're going to chat about, but it's probably going to involve um, entheogens, plant medicines, and potentially the, the whole culture surrounding that. Um, I know Julian from the writing that, that um, he does on the application, like the modern application of plant medicine ceremony work, um, or the serving of ayahuasca and things like that. Um, we have mutual friends, he's written a book um, on the subject, and he's at the moment traveling around the world. Um, exploring, looking for plants and experimenting and just really, um, yeah, in, in immersing himself in that world. So welcome, Julian. Thanks, Juro. Cool. Just, just for the, just so the listener can kind of like geolocate you in their minds. Um, where, where are you at the moment and what are you up to there? Uh, so I'm in Pai in northern Thailand, which is north of Chiang Mai in the hills. So it's the 2nd of November. It's starting to get a bit chilly here. Uh, I'm in a little – Pai is a little backpacker paradise where everything's cheap and, uh, you know, food is plentiful and massages are uh, 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 $10 for two hours. Sounds pretty good. Sounds pretty good. <laughs> so what – what thread were you following that, that led you to um, put down your bags in, in this mountainous area of northern Thailand? Well, 
I originally came to Thailand to look for a plant, and I ended up in a city called Konkan, where uh, just the other gringos were a few crusty old guys. Uh, so I was there a week looking for a plant, and I found the plant there, and I didn't really enjoy being in that area that much. So I thought I'd go to Chiang Mai, where I knew the plant grew there. And I thought I'd check out Pai and just have a look. And I I gave myself one day to find the plant I was looking for. And I found it here too. So I'm like, okay, I'll just stay here. I'm quite happy to stay here. And, uh, yeah, so, yeah. I don't want to talk about this plant too much, but I can say it's it's a very very psychoactive plant that is active by itself, um, and it's on the level of ayahuasca or a boga. Interesting. Well, we we await hearing more about this plant. Um, it sounds very special indeed. So let's go. Let's get a little bit of backstory into into your life, if you don't mind, Julian. It's always nice for people to. To, to figure out how a man who's hunting for psychoactive plants in Thailand um, might have got himself there. Um, so just first of all, a little bit about your, your, your childhood and growing up. Like where was that and what are some of the things that stood out like that kind of like bear a correlation to uh, your, your current life, I guess? Well, I grew up in the country in a, an area called Nalinga, halfway between Shepherd and Benalla. And when people ask where I'm from, say to Melbourne people, I'll say I'm from Shepparton, which Shepparton is a bit like one of the roughest towns in northeast Victoria. Um, but I, I went to secondary school there. But I, I went to primary school at the Agricultural College, five kilometres from where I grew up. And we had just 20 kids in the Agricultural College. And I had a teacher who was very passionate about computers. So I got into computers really early. Um, and my dad was an agricultural journalist and my grandmother was a writer. So I always wanted to be a journalist, someone who is taking photographs, working with computers. And I had a, down-to-earth childhood of road horses we had animals on the farm nice people um strong community um so that's how i grew up it was it wasn't super super califragilistic idyllic but you know compared to a lot of people's child childhood it had a lot of positive elements i think and what what stage in your in your teenage years did you first um i guess leap down the rabbit hole of uh, altering one's consciousness deliberately well my mother um used to tell me there was a yogic technique that she practiced and i never associated my mother with any kind of yogic technique i thought this was a really weird thing of her to say and she told me when I was 16 that she could travel out of her body, which I thought was quite extraordinary that she could have out-of-body experiences. And that when I was a baby and I was screaming all the time, she would travel out of her body to get away from my screaming. 
And it turns out that my grandfather would also travel out of his body when he was in a concentration camp in Burma, which I think is just just a few. I was just the border. It's just a few few k's over here. Uh, and he would travel out, and he was like a major in the English army. Uh, and so he was so, um, um, the world's most unlikely person to say um, he has out-of-body experiences in a way. And so I think that gave my mother permission to do the same. So I was fascinated by this, obsessed by this, but I could never actually do it. When I was 16, I'd try and do it. I'd get really close. I'd get to the point where I'd stay still, completely still. I'd go into the thoughtless space and I'd have these incredible waves of energy come over me. And actually, this in itself, I think, changed me going into these deep meditative states. And I started to awaken and also disconnect. I, I at, at once, it's a little bit long-winded story, but I, 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 in some sense, disconnected, but I also connected at the same time. Um, so when I was 18, I ended up in America um, after high school, and... I bought some LSD in Haight-Ashbury in San Francisco for $2 a tab, uh, and they were $10, $10 a tab. And um, I took – I ended up taking four hits on a bus between San Francisco and L.A. And – at because I didn't think the the first hit I took was working or the next two, so I just took four, and I managed to survive that. And that was the first time that I took psychedelics, and I thought, yeah, this is interesting. I thought that I'd see, you know, John and Ringo and the Yellow Submarine, and it <laughs> it wasn't like that. It wasn't like that at all. It was quite perceptual. It was quite an experience of um, reality, which is very different. So I experimented with LSD in London. I uh, managed to get some more there. And I ended up taking, again, 400 mics at the Reading Festival in 1993, which freaked me out so much. I didn't take psychedelics again for four years. Wow. It took me that, that long to integrate it. Then I had another experience in Sydney when I was 22, and that experience took me six months to integrate. I had someone looking after me. I couldn't look after myself pretty much for six months. I was so out there. Um, and then when I was working in IT, web design, in the really early days, it's if you knew what you were doing, it was sort of easy to get your foot in the door. And I wasn't really interested in what was behind the door because it was very corporate, sort of a bit boring. But I had some forays into that world. And a friend and I started a company uh, around Byron Bay in 1999 uh, because he grew up in that area. It was his hometown. 
So I worked with him for six months. And then he got married to an Icelandic woman who is now the leader of the Pirate Party in Iceland. And uh, I was out of a job, so I became a full-time psychedelic um, investigator. <laughs> okay. We'll have, to, and I, we'll have to get into the job description there. Um, yeah, okay, so that's yeah. interesting. So what's interesting to me on, on that story is... Um, well, definitely the, the whole mother story, the out of body experience. When you were practicing, were you practicing in the in the lucid in the lucid dream state, or was it sort of more like a? Did your mum give you some tips as to work with some kind of mantra or meditation, or how were you how were you playing with that? No, she she would go into this uh, because she was stressed out often. That's how she would have that experience. I read books about it, and I understood you had to turn off your mind and. Um, then I would lie down still before I went to sleep and do it for an hour and I'd go, I'd be completely still and I never managed to do it, you know, and I gave up eventually trying mm. to do it. Mm. But, but it, I think it put me into some very powerful states mm. where I awoke into my energy body, for example. I had that awareness. Mm. Um, and uh yeah never actually succeeded um doing it mm, interesting so those so that those like the reading festival experience um which created like this this gap of four years um before you went back into the psychedelic realm um what what sort of imprint or what what kind of lessons did you learn from that well i think i saw I think I saw a level of reality that I perhaps most people my age or most people in general would feel that they were overwhelmed by a deeper understanding of levels of reality that are not physical. And I saw, I saw, I suppose I saw into the astral plane, you know, I was, look, I was in the physical world, but I was seeing reality in an astral sense and the, I was seeing energies and a lot of things I couldn't understand or interpret, but, uh, it was very overwhelming and I was devastated by it. Uh, it really kind of hammered home this understanding of a metaphysical reality and yeah that's why i didn't didn't touch psychedelics for 4 years but w- i don't understand why you were devastated like is is there a connection here with fear like w- what was the actual emotion that you that this like glimpse into this astral plane and a metaphysical reality what why does that equate to a feeling of devastation i think uh I was, I think that I saw a lot of things that weren't very good. I think I saw, um, I saw a kind of collective shadow. I think I saw some, it was like taking the red pill, you know, and in that, in that taking the red pill, you can't look at the world mm. in the same way and so you break through all your old cognitive dissonance mm-hmm. and you can't be 
you can't be like all the other people. You know, you see the sheep show for what it is and you see the people herding the sheep and you see you see behind the scenes of the show and you can't just carry on. And so it was devastating in that sense, like, okay, well, there's absolutely no chance for me to be a normal person whatsoever. This is when I'm 18, you know. Absolutely, not that I was a normal person, but, you know, I was really thrust into uh, a, a much deeper inquiry, which which is mm. which is what I was fo- focused on from when I was 18. I, I was inquiring, I was doing a lot of writing, a lot of philosophy, just trying to understand the world. Mm, interesting, okay. Yeah, I can... I can certainly relate. I'm sure that that anybody who has a practice of psychedelics can can relate in some sense to that feeling of um, seeing reality with with new eyes and and therefore having to confront the realization that every, every the whole of their life up until that point has been something of an illusion, and all the manifestations of their mm-hmm. life, be it their job, their 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 identity, maybe even their wife is coming from a yeah. level of consciousness that is now represented by this sense that that was an illusion. That was like, I can, I can understand where you're coming from now. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, so, so, okay, so you've had these big, big breaks and then you've, all, you've gone back into it. Like, what's, what's been the sort of explorer's impulse to, to get back into it? Like, after this Byron Bay, when you decided to, to, to don this hat of, I am now a, a full-time psychedelic explorer, like, what did that involve on a material, pragmatic sense? Well, it wasn't necessarily my choice. I didn't sort of go hunting for LSD. It came to me. I didn't hunt for DMT. It came to me. I didn't hunt for any number of things like mushrooms they came to me i did it for pashna uh after uh, um after i left this working with my friend and i found a mushroom growing in the field on only one mushroom on day one day three and day five <laughs> and of course i had it. to take it <laughs> of course i had i had to <laughs> and then did you go and sit down in the hall and listen to mr goenka yeah i did i did yeah what was it like on mushrooms yeah. It's been more amplified, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I, I definitely haven't heard of a person um, doing Vipassana on, on mushrooms. Oh, uh, well, a, a, a former girlfriend says the same thing, and she found mushrooms at the, where the Vipassana was as well. Same thing happened to her. Wow. That's fascinating. <laughs> okay. So, and, that, and then this, at, at what stage in your life are you moving from... Um, LSD into things that grow in jungles? Well, at that point, um, it was September 1999. Um, I was no longer employed and psilocybin mushrooms were growing everywhere around the house I was living in in Crabs Creek because there were cows growing everywhere. So the mushrooms were just there. It was kind of obvious to go pick a whole bunch of them, uh, peel off the skin, which my friend told me was very important, and I agreed with him. And um, I would just take as many as I could. I'd chop them up and put them on a plate, and I'd eat massive amounts. And 
take doing that, you were really able, I was really able to um, experience um, cosmic consciousness on many different layers, really travel into the depths of uh, reality and see some extraordinary things. And so after that, I was a I wasn't hooked because it was also very intimidating and mm. and um, uh, sometimes I'd black out and not remember. Uh, it was really full on. I'd have channeling sessions sometimes and experience very powerful states. But it seemed to be, well, this was what I was looking for in those that that time period between I was 18 and 22, I was reading a lot of mystical texts um, and hundreds and hundreds of books. Okay, well, right in front of me was a way that I found to engage with the mystical and interact with it. What kind and, of mystical texts? Are you talking like alchemy or the occult? Or are you talking like Eastern kind of spiritual well, texts? I went to university at La Trobe University in Bandura, which, to be honest, is a second-rate university <laughs> in my, my belief. <laughs> but they had an extraordinary library there, and they had every single mystical book you'd ever want to hope to read, like the Theosophists, for example, and J. Krishnamurti. I was really interested in the Western mystical tradition, the Eastern mystical tradition. I just read everything. So rather than doing my philosophy, cinema studies, English, I didn't read any of those books. They were not interesting at all, you know, um, apart from maybe D.H. Lawrence, who I already read in my own time. Um, I read 10 books a week about you know you name it i've read it you know mm, i don't really i don't really read books on that topic matter because i pretty much have an understanding of were you going of, into of like them. christian mysticism or celtic mysticism and druids and all, all kinds of yeah uh, of to varying degrees to very to varying to varying degrees uh i never i never found much that was juicy in that I found the most juicy stuff in esoteric Eastern mysticism. Okay. okay. Mm. Awesome. So, okay. So that takes us to, to like your early twenties and like, is it safe to say that pretty much from then till now, um, you've been, yeah. How, how do you describe like in a nutshell <laughs> the, the last decade or so? Yes. Well, it's a decade and it's more, it's almost 20 years now. So that's like September, it's 18 years thereabouts, uh, and it hasn't really stopped. And the last five years I've been trying to get out of it. I'm like, okay, all right, <laughs> I, okay, I'm ready to do something well, else. You're now. ready to work in a cubicle and behind a desk? Uh, not quite, not quite, <laughs> but definitely I'm ready to, to move on um, because, yeah, I mean, it's it's – I've been all-encompassing, all-enveloping, and um, you know, I, I, I feel I feel good about it. However, um, I also feel like I've got to a point with it now where I've I 
where I think when you get to a, a level with something, I don't like the word mastery, but you get to a point where your learning is very slow. In the beginning, your learning is very fast, and then you get to a point with something and the learning comes slower. And for sure, I think there's there's so much that, you know, there's, there's certainly more to learn and understand, for sure, and I'm always learning and understanding in mm. different ways. Mm. But, uh, you know, there is a point where you sort of feel like, okay, you know, I have a really good grasp of this and, um, you know, I want that, that freshness of, 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 you know, learning. Mm -hmm. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's where I'm at with it now. I'm not weary. I'm not weary or tired of it. Mm. And I'm still, you know, I'm still, I still take a lot of plant medicine because it helps me and it's just a part of my life and who I am. It just, it, it just helps. It's, it, it works. So I'm always okay. doing it. So when you say um, it works and when you say you feel like you've got a good grasp of what it's all about, can you help us understand a little bit more about what, what you're talking about here? Um, you know, for potentially imagine a listener who has never done plantless plant medicine. Um, and, you know, so what, it, what is it that specifically what what type of awareness or what realms of understanding have you deepened in in, over the last 20 years well also a part of it is not having a a problematic orientation to it i think a lot of people have a lot of fear and trepidation Mm -hmm. about psychedelics i don't have any fear anymore i work through that you know I don't, I, it's not an area of resistance for me. Um, so it's, it, I'm quite comfortable with these states and working with these states. Um, in, in terms of, what was your question again? Can you clarify? Yeah, like what, you know, if you were to, con- I want to talk about some of the things that you've, that, that you feel like you've learned you're, you're talking about moving on to a to a new chapter you're talking about mm. sort of like a chapter coming to a natural close and uh, I want to like extract or if like hopefully co-extract some of the kind of like nuggets and talk about some of the, th- mm. the, the, the real like juicy um, pieces of awareness or breakthroughs or downloads or messages or new insights mm. That might actually mm. help someone out there listening say, okay, well, mm. maybe, I, maybe I should break through that fear and, 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 and have a think about connecting with the plants on that level. Like, like what exactly has it, has it how, how exactly has this work benefited your life, I guess? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it, there's so many different levels to it. I think that one of the, the underestimated levels to the plant medicines is the medicinal levels that they're working with not in your just your physical body or your mental body but levels of the somatic energetic body just talking chakras or meridians but uh the 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 deep technology uh within within the 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 human and i feel like taking these plants is like taking your body to the mechanic and this is where that all the tuning happens and i feel that 
actually I need to go there quite regularly because I find that de- there's so many elements in modern society that is detuning you on a physical level, on a mental level, on an emotional level. Everything seems to be at times trying to put you out of tune. So I think it's important to come back to nature and get that tune up, which is what nature's trying to do. As far as I can understand, all the plants are trying to bring you back into balance, bring you back into the the tune. And that's going to be that that may be quite harrowing and difficult, but it also may be extremely pleasurable and uh, satisfying to experience that. Let's talk more about that last point because I feel the same thing, that the plants are actually, there's, there's like a consciousness that's, that's uh, working to, to, to help humanity in a sense to, you know, mm. to, to, to wake up. And it's almost yeah. like the resurgence that we see right now in the, in the Western use of plant medicine work. I know that some of it's bullshit and ego-driven and whatever, but there's certainly a, there, there's some level of purity there in terms of, um, people having renaturing experiences or experiences that connect mm. them with nature in a way that never before had they ever come close to. Um, mm. so, so do you feel like there's an actual, like th- this idea of the plants like being messengers or, or, or sharing insights and wisdom? Is this something that resonates with you? It not just resonates, it's an overwhelming reality. It's, it's for me it's just the way it is that these plants are not just communicating to the mind to the mental body that they're actually they are mechanics of the etheric astral energetic body uh uh whatever you want to call it sometimes when i take a boga I look more like a robot than a human, you know, in what a boga shows me I am. I can't make head or tail of it. But um, I really feel an experience. And this is not just what I experience because I facilitate for others. It's just what everyone says. And it's just evident and obvious that that's how these plants work. There's no – it's not a – there's not even any chance for any doubt at all. It's just how it is. And it's how people in – the people who work with these plants like ayahuasca in the Amazon, that's what they say as well in every culture. They have a pretty similar view of it, I reckon. Mm. Yeah, for sure. So what's, what's your feelings and thoughts on the current state of, of the world, particularly around um, – plant medicine culture. Um, I know that you have, you know, I, I read what you write. Um, I know that you've got some opinions in, in this regard. But uh, what, do you, what do you think of the way that things are being, that things uh, about the way things are going on out there in terms of uh, ayahuasca in particular? Well, what I see in particular is I think we have, there's, there's a little bit of, uh, in the, the ayahuasca tends to be, it's a very – I could talk about this for many hours and I have. Um, uh, ayahuasca is very unusual in the different kind of scenes that it has created in the world. 
and people seem to be trying to get to some kind of cultural authenticity, which I don't agree with. I recommend that people come back into this communication with the plant spirit as being primary, not what the cultural uh, artifacts are. Uh, come back into the communion, the communication with the plants, and you don't need to be concerned about the religion or the um, the, uh, the the ceremonial aspect, which I find to be a distraction. Um, so yeah, I I think that there can be, you know, I I lived in Byron Bay from for 11 years from 1999. So I got a real thorough download of the modern spiritual seeker and modern day spirituality. And I, I tend to think it can be a bit of an ego trip. It can be a distracting kind of ide- separate identity that assumes some kind of superiority to the common man, you know, it's like a bit of a, like a, an ideological separation that occurs and it's quite subtle and sneaky. So I, you know, I think there's, there can be a sense that people feel that taking ayahuasca is supposed to be a spiritual experience. And I don't necessarily see it as a spiritual experience per se. I think that ayahuasca is more likely to show you uh, what is not spiritual and what is not working for you and where you are. Uh, If you're just focusing on what's spiritual, you might not actually be able to clear out the stuff that's actually in the way of spirit manifesting and I think people have a lot of predetermined ideas about what spirit manifesting looks like and how spirit is. There's all these little kind of clicky, and I think it can be a little bit of a right brain. There's a, it's quite a right brain. Uh, it's not exactly particularly logical, analytical, intellectual uh, framework, that one. And on the other hand, in the psychedelic scene in the world today, you have the more scientific, left-brain, analytical, logical people don't seem to be into taking ayahuasca that much because they see the white-wearing, you know, goddessy, floaty types, and they're like, no, that's not my scene. I like my 2C2 147-plus ME, you know. So it's it's... I'm pretty much opposed to all um, identity structures and cults, and I consider the left brain, the left brain analytical, scientific, neurochemical uh, scene a bit of a cult as well. And I, I I know people in all these different identity streams, so I don't find any of that helpful. I believe more in integrating the left brain and the right brain and I feel like the the um, neuroscience psychedelic renaissance neurochemical crew should be going to these ayahuasca groups and um, 
the people wearing white and being a bit wafty and right brain um, uh, perhaps should be going and learning about neurochemistry and neuroscience. So I'm more, I'm more, I'm, I'm a supporter of balance. I think I'm supporter of integrating the, 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 the hemispheres because I think people tend to indulge in their, in their so-called strengths rather than going into their, their weakness and, and what they're not comfortable with. Sure. You know, I, so I agree with yeah. you for the for the, for the for the most part and but one thing I will say is that I'm seeing like in my friendship circle I there's just quite a few people who are scientists um physicists quantum physicists um neuroscientists who 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 really are looking at in you know uh at altered states and 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 bringing those sort of things together um there's a, it, it is just, it is starting to happen maybe maybe it's the it's the green roots of of some of of an integration that you're talking about because yeah it's been very polarized i agree but let's talk about uh you know we can talk about i was actually raised as a jehovah's witness and and and, and like you i am i'm against anything that smells remotely of cult um, and then a lot of these ceremonies that I go to, there's a lot of um, ritual. Um, now, I happen to feel like there's a, a kind of like power that I don't really understand to some of the ritual. And, it, and, it, and I guess it comes down to like, what, what actually does ritual do to, to, our, to our minds? Like, I don't care whether the ritual has come from a direct lineage of a shamanic tradition in in Peru, or whether the ritual was made up by that person standing in front of me. But the sort of the sense of like theatre or rich or like deliberateness and intent, um, there seems to be something that works in our psychology uh, to create a certain preparedness. Do you agree or not? I think the important thing is to have the intent in the first place. I think that some of the people who utilize rituals say that, oh, the ritual's not important. It's a container for intent. It's a way to focus and bring the intent. I think that you should be, be able to manifest the intent without the ritual. And I think that, I mean, it's just perhaps the, the way that I work is more like, okay, let's go into the healing and the psychotherapy uh, all that the plants can bring. It's not really anything to do with a, a ritual. I mean, how many psychotherapists or healers use a ritual uh, or massage therapists use a ritual? Because what you're really – what you're really focusing on is the results. You're really wanting the process to occur. So my approach is, okay, let's get down to business. It's like, it's like a tea ritual, like um, a Japanese tea ritual. The ritual is the tea ritual, making the tea, preparing the tea. And, you know, for me, life is the ritual. The rituals occurring here now. That's why I have issue with people saying, okay, let's make this sacred space and we enter the sacred space. Okay, so I don't believe in there being a separate sacred space that we should be creating. We should be making the space sacred right now. 
you know. So I try and have an intent in my life at all times. I try and be um, – try and have an awareness of intent and focus at all times. So the so for me, um, there's no place or time at which the ritual starts because it's already occurring. And at the end of the day, what I'm wanting to do in the work that I do is bring – people to a place of comfort and at ease and a relaxation and I do that through playing very conducive music to burning conducive incense to you to creating an environment which is very beautiful safe and conducive to bringing about an atmosphere with the people that I manifest in the space who allow themselves to feel comfortable and safe so all these elements and they come together, they, that's the pot, that's the cauldron in which the magic can be uh, manifested. Mm. That's that, this is the party, this is the atmosphere, this is the, this is the container where uh, people can go deep. So the most important thing for me is that people can go deep and that they can um, – that they allow themselves to mm. let let go and engage in the deeper aspect, mm. deeper aspects of themselves. How do you how do you um, help people um, prepare to go most deep? Like in like I'm talking like maybe a months out or weeks out, but but what is your general um, sort of like counsel for for people approaching an ayahuasca ceremony or serving? Um, in terms of preparing their bodies and minds and spirits, um, not to not to overdo it. Don't freak out about it. You know, maybe people people. I think we we underestimate a lot of people. Um, people are maybe reading too much. They're watching too many YouTube videos. They're actually the problem I find is over preparation. People thinking about it too much people getting stressed about it too much. So in that I the metaphor I use is like a string that's too white too too tightly wound. You can't get a you can't get a sound out of it. I think the presumption is that people are a bit loose. They're just gonna be like, yeah, we'll just get some Maccas, just rock up to this eye ceremony, she'll be right. People in Australia are actually not like that. They're actually they're too wound up. The people who, at least the ones who drink with me, that I need to tell them, no, don't worry about that, forget about that, no, just be be relaxed, be calm and be receptive, you know. You don't always need to be doing this or doing that. So I recommend often that people just chill out, you mm. know. Yeah, no, helpful advice. And um, what about it, some of the integration afterwards? Is it... Do you spend much time with with people, um, helping them like process stuff that has come up? Well, if people have a hard time, I find for whatever reason. I mean, I try to be approachable. I say to you people, look, you know, contact me any time. Uh, I generally have to chase up people who have a difficult time and say, hey, how's it going? You know, how are things for you? <laughs> Um, and yeah, just, just talk to them and allow them to realize that what they've experienced is, 
um, significant uh, because sometimes they've had a red pill experience and everything's been shaken up. Their worldview has been shaken up and they go back to work and they can't do it anymore and their friends look at them weird and um, they know they've gone for a major shift and it's it's hard, you know. And I try and help people to realize that that they have the power in every moment to do this work of integration, that integration is natural and to let their body and mind do it and just simple things, just walk in nature and try it. Don't be so hard on yourself. Just take it easy. Um, try and try and take time out. Try and uh, relax and, and give time for you. People are so outwardly focused on their security and their career in this in in australia so i say to people look don't worry about your job maybe you have to go and live out in a little hut for the next six months with a bag of rice and that's okay you know so um yeah basically try and empower people to realize that okay well you've done some deep work and the work keeps going um yeah i have i have one situation where I, I had to help a guy who drank with some other people and he thought that they'd poisoned him <laughs> he'd wow. drunk with me he'd drunk with me previously and had a really great experience and he drank with some other people and they thought that he'd poisoned them and it wasn't actually the case it was just the medicine was the medicine at my group at the time was a lot weaker than it normally is and that was perfect for him at the time. And he drank with another group and it was really strong. And he thought that it had poisoned him because it brought up so much stuff. And I had to tell him, no, this is normal. You're not being poisoned. This is all what you're, all the symptoms you're experiencing are, nat uh, are natural. And it will just take time for you to come to terms with it. So a lot of the time it's just telling people, look, it's okay. All this supernatural stuff you're experiencing is normal in my world. I've heard all this many times before. Many, many people have been through what you're going through now. So it's no, in a, in a way, it might sound a little bit callous. It's, I say to people, look, this is no big deal. What you're going through is what I would expect you to go through right now. Mm, absolutely. So what's... What does the the next few years for you do you think look like? You you talked about sort of like the closing of a chapter and just allowing whatever is going to emerge to emerge. Are you are you guided by any sort of kind of sense of purpose or is it more emergent um, and free flowing than that kind of like idea of like I don't know predestined direction? Well, I suppose I'm motivated by what I find interesting and new and what hasn't been done before, what my dreams tell me. They're mowing, they're mowing near me, they're doing the mowing, the mowing near me, they're the brush cutting. <laughs> and um, I'm basically, yeah, really guided. Um, I consider, I consider, plant, um, I consider other human beings and the healing that comes from other human beings to be just as powerful, if not more powerful than 
that what can come from plants. And I don't think that human beings have really understood this because I think uh, our terms of intimacy and connection, which I think is one of the most potent ways that we can transform, are a bit culturally conditioned. Can you hear me all right? Is there yeah. a rush cutter guy upsetting you? Um, and so what I want to try and do is create some framework as an understanding as to how that that medicine can be in the world, that medicine of intimacy and connection, because I think we don't have any good frameworks for that. Um, and something exciting and interesting and seductive. So I say to people that I want to create erotica, and they're like, what? You want to create pornography? <laughs> and I'm like, no, no, I want to create erotica. And I think that's a perfect medium to create a, a living example of what it is to communicate, to commune, and to understand the, the medium of uh, intimacy and connection, which I considered to be at its heart is a metaphysical energetic phenomena. And of course you can't necessarily film that really easily, but I think there's a lot that can be done. So I think this is what this challenge interests me. You know that you're a it's it's very fascinating because it's like your your journey twenty years with the plants, uh, and you're and you're actually talking about potentially finding something that bears a, bears a striking resemblance to to soma, which offline we talked about being uh, the catalyst for potentially all of the Eastern spiritual traditions that come out of that part of the world. And it sounds to me like you're talking about what they call tantra, like this. The, oh, the understanding no, I'm not of intimacy. Ta- yeah, no, I'm not talking about Tantra because, you know, the way I work with the plants doesn't involve any kind of religion or religious uh, orientation. Uh, I, I just, just in that the way I work with humans in an intimate way doesn't involve any technique, well, it might involve some technique, but at least no tradition or religious element, uh, which I believe are obstructive and not useful. So I'm no fan of... I agree. No fan of... Tantra. I, I know you're not, but, you're, but you've come full circle to a similar point that I think some of the great sages or wise people of those days potentially might have called Tantra. But like, yeah. let's, let, you know what I mean? Like, get away from the words and the constructs and the religion, yeah. like the essence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, per, perhaps I'm. I'm not sure. I've looked into the history of, I guess, sacred communion. Uh, you know, I'm not. I'm not really sure if they, if their approaches or attitudes were re- are really necessarily useful. Uh, for for people in the modern day, so uh, you know, I think that we've got to really bootstrap it and 
in this hyper interesting times, we've got to really find out what works for us. And I'm not saying I have all the answers or even some, but I think that we, I think that's a matter, a necessary matter for exploration for sure. So I think as soon as we talk about Tantra, we're like, all right, oh, these are the books. You do this and that, you get this result. And I'm, I would say, well, to my mind, things are a lot bigger and vaster and wider. And I think we need to really come back and have a look at our fundamental intentionality and question, really question everything. So that's where I'm really coming from, coming from this this sort of zero point um, apprehension of reality, this sort of divine ignorance, Mm. I suppose. Beautiful. Divine ignorance. I like that. Cool, Julian. We're, um, I stole. <laughs> you stole that one. Cool. Well, let's um, wrap it up there. Um, thank you so much for your time. It's been interesting to philosophize and learn more about your life and and get a get a bit of an insight into you know the potential direction of, of where you're heading. Um, we, I wait with bated breath more more uh, news about this plant that you're working with at the moment, and. Um, mm. So where, where, where can people like find more about who you are and what you do and potentially even sit with you um, and drink with you? Well, you can, uh, people can't sit with me. They can lie down in a fet- fetal position with me. But I won't, necessarily, I won't necessarily lie down with them. But I might. But in, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, sometimes, so, sometimes I drink, but not, not, not the same amount as other people. But anyway, so Julian Palmerism dot uh, com is my website, and it's pretty much all there. I mean, I I do write quite a lot of blog posts and and some quite lengthy ones. I hope they're interesting enough that people, uh, you know, feel like they want to keep scrolling. Um, but yeah, I have quite a, quite a lot of people read my blog posts. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have my book, Articulations, uh, which is on Amazon and Kindle, and you can order it from your local bookshop. And that's all about psychedelics. I have videos on YouTube. But, yeah, you go to my website, Julian Palmerism, and that's a big portal to to everything there. You can sign to my workshops mailing list there as well. I'm doing a retreat in South Africa in uh, two weeks. A 10-day retreat. I'm doing one in uh, the Golf of Carpentaria um, in uh, mid next year. But uh, I'm kind of it's 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 um, uh, halfway between Cairns and and Darwin in the middle of nowhere. So it's one of the most pristine, beautiful places in the world. And so just being there is some of the most powerful medicine I've experienced just being there. Wow. Uh, awesome. So cool. Yeah. All right. Well, I will post links to, uh, to those, to your website in the, in, in the podcast. Um, thanks so much for your time, Julian. Um, it's been a real pleasure chatting with you. Yeah. Thanks, George. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Julian Palmer, one of the most unique voices in the plant medicine and entheogenic communities. Um, 
yeah, check out his uh, retreats that are coming up. Um, if you'd like to sit in an ayahuasca ceremony, which is devoid of, um, I guess, many of the cultural trappings of uh, the shamanic world and you'd like to interface uh, more directly with the plant, um, that's kind of the style of Julian's work. Um, yeah, and please make sure you, if you're enjoying these Flow State podcasts, you share them. Um, that would help us greatly. In the next few weeks, we've got some amazing interviews coming up with um, purpose-driven entrepreneurs, uh, scientists talking with whales and dolphins, um, people who are experts in different con- consciousness-alterating dimensions, um, scientists, neuroscientists, psychologists, adventurers, a whole bunch of people who understand and explore all the different dimensions of flow and uh, our awareness. So tune in next time. Until then, stay in flow. See you. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Flow State Performance Podcast. Check us out at www.flowstateperformance.com for more inspiration to unleash your potential.